You're listening to My Perfect Playlist with me, Mark Nelson. Hello and welcome again to My Perfect Playlist. This is the podcast where I ask interesting people to compile a playlist based on certain categories, moments and memories from their own lives. Thanks for joining us again for episode three. As always, for the lovely comments you have sent and reviews, thanks very much. It seems to be building up a bit of pace. Delighted with that. My guest today is the wonderful stand-up Jay Lafferty. Uh, Jay is a person I started stand-up with. She's one of the most in-demand compares in all of Scotland. It's a really, really fun chat. She's got some very, very cool music. There are some hilarious, genuinely hilarious stories that come out. And uh, the audio isn't... I'm going to be honest with you, right? I'm still getting to grips with all this because I'm recording it all myself and um, editing it all myself. I've not quite got to grips with all of it yet. So this was the first time I've had a major mess up. Uh, and uh, the audio, I've had some people working on it. I've had my friends who are incredibly good at these kind of things and cleaned it all up. So it sounds fine. It's not as uh, tidy as uh, the other episodes, but at least this time I remembered to press record. So, you know, I'm getting better all of this stuff. But uh, yeah, the quality of the audio, just ignore it. You get used to it. And uh, it doesn't take away from what is a really really good chat with a really really good friend and some very very important and poignant points that we end up discussing jay lafferty thank you very very much for joining me on my perfect podcast how are you i'm good pal thank you very much for having me um i'm excited to chat to you about music <laughs> i know i know because we've talked about music previously because we've been pals for ages like we've been at a lot of music festivals together as well we have. We've been to loads of music festivals. Some we remember and some we'd rather forget. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tea in the park and shitty pizza boxes. <laughs> yes, yeah, that was that was that year. Yeah. So your playlist. You've sent me over some uh, of your choices. It's it's a cracking cracking playlist. Oh, thanks. What's been interesting is I found like. There's the, of everyone I've done so far, um, there's genuine themes run through it that you yeah. might not even realise are happening. So, and there's definite, there's definite themes in yours. Opening track, I've gone with Tusk by Fleetwood Mac. A song about penises. Let's do it. <laughs> Did you know that beforehand? Yeah, yeah. No, I knew. Yeah, I knew. Well, it's it's not a song about penises, but it was like a slang term that was used uh, for a penis because I knew, like, I'm a huge, and this is going to come out during this podcast, that I am a massive Stevie Nicks fan. Like, I love and adore and, like, bow down to the goddess that is Stevie Nicks. And Stevie Nicks hated the fact that they wanted to call this album that came straight after Rumours, Tusk, that it was going to be neat. She hated it. Um, but basically, Mick Fleetwood was just like, I don't care. Um, we're not talking about it anymore. That's what it's called. <laughs> so, you know, that total male misogyny. Yeah, shut it. <laughs> yeah. I only realised this when I was kind of reading up on it today. I had, I've never heard a penis being referred to as a Tusk. 
No, I think it must be. Well, although they're like they're a British slash American band, but they were, you know, they kind of lived in America, and so I think it must be an American thing because I've never heard it referred to as a tusk, unless it's just a seventies thing. Yeah, <laughs> we're too young. It's, it's. I mean, I can kind of see it, but it's also quite a. It's kind of a weird term. Like yeah. it, it puts it puts a new slap in the ivory tree. Well, exactly. This is what I was going to say. It might be lobbed off, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. The next thing you know is some Japanese whalers taking it and put it in a soup or something like that. <laughs> but yeah, I, I didn't. I, I didn't know that uh, before. But it's a cracking song. It's it's such a good. And apparently. Um, it's. I was reading the day that it, it at the at the time it held the record for the most musicians on a track ever because it uses all the marching bands. Yeah, that's right. They use. Uh, I think it's the University of Southern California. I want to say, um, marching band. And it. Yeah, I mean, it's just total Fleetwood Mac weirdness, and it was a real kind of. Uh, Lindsay Buckingham kind of he was really into punk like Tusk as a full album is such a departure and like and suffered from that because everybody was really into rumours and you know and rumours is a very specific sound and uh, and then Tusk came along and it was just this complete departure which kind of paved the way for a lot of bands although it was not their second album by any manner of means but it did kind of pave that like the tricky second album where you do weird stuff that nobody likes. <laughs> it's, it kind of paved the way for that, despite the fact it was like their 12th or 13th or something ridiculous. Because um, they kind of say, they said it was pretty much, it was an important album for them because had they not made an album like that after Rumours, they would have split up as a band because Rumours was, I mean, you're, you'll know Fleetwood Mac a lot, but Rumours was a fucking mental record because... Everyone yeah. was splitting up with everyone. Everyone was knee deep in cocaine. It was yeah, sounds great, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a brilliant uh, Stevie Nicks quote because apparently uh, Mick Fleetwood uh, bought like these two African elephant tusks yeah. and he, he stuck them on the side of the recording console, and that was like the kind of inspiration. And then uh, I've got this Stevie Nicks quote where uh, Tusk gave us inspiration those fifteen months working in that room. But our journey up the sacred mountain to the sacred African percussion place where all the gods of music lived. <laughs> that's that's cocaine. That is I mean, I that's why I love her. Do you know how <laughs> and she just embraces it, you know, and she still embraces it to this day. Uh and I yeah. And she believes that. Even now that she's like not on the cocaine. <laughs> like, uh yeah. They were crazy, and you know, you know that um, when they recorded the album, that uh, Lindsay Buckingham made them recreate his bathroom. Really? Yeah. So he had done a lot of quite a lot of you know demos of the songs and and things like that in in his bathroom mm-hmm. at home, um, because he wanted this really kind of echoey non studio like rough sound. And then when they came to record it in the studio, he he didn't like the way that. He didn't think it was edgy enough and so he basically made the production the producers build a, a replica of his bathroom in the <laughs> studio i mean and that just shows you because rumors had been such a a monumental massive success um that is the sort of shit you could ask for <laughs> mm. oh yeah that, that's that's proper rock excess i love that you don't get that at all anymore because like no <laughs> bands don't have that kind of power at all it's like like zeppelin when they just demanded they have their own jet just like oh. yeah of course fucking like zeppelin why not i love it i think like 
I miss the 70s. I mean, I wasn't alive during the 70s, but I kind of wish I was. I feel like my soul lives in the 70s, despite like the, I mean, I was going to say despite the misogyny, but it's not as if, you know, that's gone. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going we're gonna to touch on that a lot later on. Uh, oh, my God, yeah. okay. <laughs> the, uh, just before we move on, um, being a Fleetwood Mac fan, um, mm. I'm, I'm, I still am fascinated by the fact that they stayed together as a band, considering mm. they went through with each other because like if you're arguing like if, if you're was it so was it was it Lindsay Buckingham and Stevie Nicks that were together yeah so originally uh Buckingham and Nicks they came as a couple they mm-hmm. came to the band as a couple um and yeah they were I don't know how long they actually stayed together initially and then they were having a tough time during but before rumors and then during rumors um and then I mean they were Stevie was having affairs with like Fleetwood and like yeah <laughs> like, there was all sorts of stuff going on so yeah they were all and then like uh, Christine McVeigh was you know she was I can't even remember like yeah they were, I mean they were all sleeping with each other and they were and they were all doing tons of cocaine and I feel like that's probably the reason that they stayed together for so long because despite the fact they were all kind of pulled together by the drugs and the lifestyle and now obviously it's all gone wrong. They've chucked Lindsay out the band and after having their tour, which I saw them do um, a few years ago. Um, and then just before the pandemic, they were due to go on another world tour and they just basically went, ah, we've had enough of Lindsay and got rid of them. And I feel sad for that, but yeah. I think like, it's probably because they, they can't do the, they don't do the cocaine anymore. I think most of them are teetotal and really straight laced. And you're like, see, it was the cocaine that was keeping you together. <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's the it's the Colombian cement, as I like yeah. to call it. <laughs> right, next song, a song that reminds you of your childhood, and uh, you've picked "Moonshadow" by Cat Stevens. Yes, I'm being followed by a moonshadow, 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 leaping and hopping on a moonshadow, moonshadow, moonshadow. And if I ever lose my hands, lose my plough, I could have probably picked any Cat Stevens song um, because my mum was like a massive Cat Stevens fan. And But this is the one that I think I probably listen to most now. You know, so that whole the whole album, uh, like T for the T for the Tillerman, um, was constantly on in our house uh, alongside, you know, just lots of other Cat Stevens, um, singles and things like that. But uh, yeah, I would say this is the one that I would listen to probably most as an adult. That reminds me of just being a kid. I remember my mum and dad playing Cat Stevens, yeah, a lot as well, and I think. His songs appeal to children, I think, because there's quite a simpleness about them. It was only years later when I started listening to Cat Stevens again and I remembered so many of the songs just purely from growing up and my dad playing them in the car. Yeah, that's it. It was like those long car journeys. And uh, I mean, because now I feel like, you know, well, you've got get your your wee ones are older than my wee one. But even now I find that, like, you know, you play the kids songs in the car and mm-hmm. I never grew up like that like when we were in the car my dad was playing his albums my mum was playing her albums you know you didn't have baby shark on the go no. that just would not have, no. have happened no. yeah it, it just really reminds me of 
I would say probably from the age of like five to 13, a really strong Cat Stevens vibe. <laughs> is, he, is your wee boy, is he, does he respond to music in the car? Does he have like favourites? Oh, yeah, he like, my little one loves music, like, and I'll touch on that a little bit later on as well, but he um, he's really musical and yeah, he's, he actually, he gets quite upset, you know, so if you play a sad song, there's a sad song playing it really affects him and has done since he was like he's only 18 months now but when he was really little and um before the pandemic when I was doing quite a bit of you know going back and forwards to my mum's which is like a two-hour drive from where I live you know so sad song would come on he would really react to it and then if he had joyful he put a joyful song on again he would really react to it so he's quite yeah he's very into music and he's quite, so he's quite intuitive over yeah the, really the emotion yeah. behind music wow yeah i think he's got a real empathy for for that and like <laughs> when we wanted him not so much now but when he was really little and you know when you have to try when they get to that age when they're wriggly and they don't want their nappy changed what yeah. we used to do was um we'd give him the phone and <laughs> this is going to sound so weird he was really into pavarotti <laughs> so we put Ness and Dorma on and he would just lie and hold I've got videos of it that I can send you right he would lie and hold the phone for the full duration of Ness and Dorma which was just about enough to get rid of a shitty nappy Jesus <laughs> there's, there's Pavarotti's true legacy absolutely <laughs> making kids shit <laughs> that's fantastic <laughs> Yeah, he's really into music. How has it been, just before we move on, how, because, so he's 18 months, so mm. the majority of his life will have been during lockdown. Yeah. How's yeah. that been? Um, do you know what? It's been pretty, there's been aspects of it that have been amazing and wonderful, I'm not going to lie. I, as you know, Mark, I'm a chronically busy person and I'm not, I've never been able to stop um and my little boy again as you know was 10 years in the making IVF um many many failed attempts and so when he came it it was so joyful when he arrived so he arrived in November 2019 and it was so joyful but I went straight back to work three weeks later because as a comedian and a self-employed person you don't get maternity leave it's not a thing and plus it was just about to be the Christmas run do you know I'm not giving up the big bucks oh god no (laughs) Which is just as well as it turned out, because I think the, my Christmas run saw us through to bloom in July until the government decided they were going to give us some money. Everything shut down, and so for the first time in about 16 years, I had to stop, and it was amazing. And then it just became this thing of going, I would have missed all this. There was downsides of it, and then obviously went into lockdown again, and and his grandparents missed his first birthday and we just had to do his first birthday on our own so like there's those big key moments that didn't go the way you thought they would but actually it was a pretty perfect time if you're going to be in lockdown with a child being in lockdown with a child under one is (laughs) ideal yeah there are good and bad aspects of it and Mm. whenever whenever I, i start to moan about kind of stuff and start to feel oh, for fuck's sake like I'm about doing this and all that and then you kind of realise like, like you as well being self-employed and spending a lot of time at home during this year you realise that there's not that many people get that luxury like there will yeah. be there will be parents that will go back to their work after three weeks and then will work 
for pretty much non-stop the next 16 years and I'll miss out on so, so much. Yeah. So you need yeah, to take exactly. You need to take the positives. Oh, it's great. I mean, I, I we've we've really not been done of, of of being thankful for the time that we... I mean, being thankful for his existence because for such a long time it was just pie yeah. in the sky that he would actually ever exist. And then actually to have that really intense time and it shows, like, in his development... I think that it, it really shows that intense time that he's he's had with both of us, which is great. But it's weird that like this is the chat because like Moonshadow, to like go back to the song to to Cat Stevens, mm-hmm. it's like it is allegedly. I mean, I don't know, but it is allegedly a song about appreciating the here and now. Uh, moving on a couple of years, song that reminds you of being a teenager. Uh, I'm delighted with this. Uh, you picked Alanis Morissette. You ought to know. And I'm here. I'm going to tell you the very condensed version of this story and it actually involves an Oasis song to begin with. <laughs> so... I'm already on board. <laughs> so, um, you know, like, so we're ages with each other for people who are listening who don't know us. Yes. Like, we're we're the same... 28. <laughs> yeah, we're both 28. <laughs> <laughs> but we came of age at the same time is what I'm saying. And you know when you went to, you go to, like, house parties and there was always at least one, if not a few, guys with a, with guitars um, playing Wonderwall. Um, quite often just playing the opening intro to Wonderwall over and over again because they they couldn't make the chord progression to the actual verse it was just the chorus (laughs) so I was dating when I was like I think I must have been 14 14 15 I was dating a guy and he was one of these said people with the core with the uh, oasis wonderwall guitar uh, lack of chord progression uh, going on and he was quite a bit older than me. I, I think, I think he was probably like seventeen, and I was fourteen, fifteen, and um, and it's frowned upon to do society, but that was, you know, <laughs> the nineties. It might not have been as much as that. I think I was fifteen and he was seventeen. Anyway, he um, he'd asked me to go to this party, and I I wasn't allowed to go right because my dad was quite strict. My dad's like, you're not going, you're not going to that party. No, there's absolutely no way. So I told him I wasn't allowed to go. And that was fine. And he was going to the party and I was not. Anyway, subsequently, I ended up staying at my pal's house. And her mum had a lot... Well, her mum was quite a bit younger than my mum and dad and newly divorced. So she was out in the randan. So she had no idea where we were. So my pal and I went to this party. And it, when I arrived, it was one of those, like, it was a proper house party that had gotten out of control. It was three brothers. It was a house of three brothers. Um, and there was only, like, a, they were all only a year between them. And they were all in high school. So there was, like, different levels of, you know, they'd all invited their friends from their year. And, you know, it just got totally out of control. Um, so it was a heaving party. And I arrived and I couldn't find my boyfriend. And I was looking for him everywhere. And then I heard the the dun, 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 dun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and I thought, oh, I'll just follow the badly played guitar of uh, 
Wonderwall. So I followed it all the way up the stairs to the top floor where all the bedrooms in the house were. And I'm sure like yourself and the listeners will understand what's just about to happen. Me, in my naive mind, I didn't realise. I was quite a young 15-year-old. You know, I did a bit of snogging. That was about it. And I opened the door to find my boyfriend lying with no trousers on and a girl between his legs (gasps) playing Wonderwall. So he's got the guitar and he's playing Wonderwall. And I just like I'm appalled by this scene. <laughs> I'm appalled, and uh, I run off down the stairs. And a few seconds later, he runs off and he's following me down. And like I find my pal, and I'm like upset, and I'm telling her what's happened, and she's like raging. And we get to outside of the house, and there's loads of people outside the house, and he's like he goes, you know, he's like shouting on me, and he's like stop, stop. And I turned around and I went. I mean, I think you should just go back to her. But let me tell you this, and it's the best comeback I've ever had, even as a comedian, right? I don't even know where I pulled this from. But I turned to him and I said, if I had been doing that to you, you wouldn't have been able to concentrate on the guitar. (laughs) I just turned on my heel and that was the last time I saw him. And that was it. Cut to a few, like three years later so I'm 17 by this point I'm in, I'm in college and I was doing um drama because I'm that sort of dick <laughs> um so I was studying drama at college and it was the first year that they'd had a drama um course at this college uh and we kind of had this like we'd watch far too many 90s movies I'm glad that it was before Glee but we had watched far too many 90s movies and we all felt like, you know, we had to make our mark that we were the drama group. And, you know, we used to do things like uh, we hung about in groups and we'd come down like in character costume and things like that. You know, we were just a bunch of dicks. <laughs> um, and I was so we're all sitting at lunch, the drama guys and myself and uh, lo and behold this boyfriend is sitting in the canteen about three tables away so I relay this story which all the drama geeks fucking love and they're like you should do something now you should do something now and 10 things about you had not long come out I don't know if you've ever seen 10 things about you Mark right so you'll know what I'm referring to here when he decides to sing yeah (laughs) So we just we decide that what I'm going to do is uh, is I'm going to sing to this guy, but not like a love song, like a song so he knows what a dick he is, right? <laughs> and I've not been I've not seen this guy since that night. Do you know? Like I've no idea what's going on in his life. I've no, <laughs> yeah. But I feel it's appropriate to sing Alanis Morissette. You ought to know. Um, while standing on a canteen table and walking across, it was one of these canteens, like it was a huge canteen where all the tables are joined but separated by tiny walls, do you know that sort of thing? And then there was like a table tennis table in the corner and a snooker and uh, like a pool table. He's sitting near where the pool table and the table tennis table are and I'm kind of halfway across, like I've got like five tables to get across to get him. 
right? So I stand up on this table. There's no music or anything, you know. And you ought to know, I don't know if you've ever tried to sing you ought to know a cappella. It's not easy. I've not. I've never tried. I, I didn't, it doesn't seem like the kind of song I should be singing, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you know how it starts off, like, it's very intense. It's all like, I want you to know. <laughs> like, so I get up and I start with the... And nobody, do you know, he probably doesn't even remember me. Right? <laughs> But I'm giving him like the hard stare with the Alanis Morissette. It's like, I'm happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> I walk across, do the whole thing. And by this point, like people are clapping. There's like a whole load of, yeah, I mean, it, it's going exactly the way that, you know, all the drama geeks are like, this is, this is amazing. She, she's a legend. And it was going really well and he's really embarrassed and he goes to try and leave and, and he, another guy at the table like he's holding him down in his chair like his pal who thinks this is the best thing that's ever happened. And then eventually he gets up and he gets away and he makes a run for it and I, in just the worst decision of my life I mean I've made a lot of bad decisions to this point but this is like the worst one <laughs> is that I decide that I'm going to jump from the table across his path and onto the snooker table right and onto the pool table um, but I couldn't quite make that so actually what I decided to do in a snap decision was to jump from the table onto the the table tennis ping pong table which of course snaps and you know it closes in the middle mm -hmm. so i jump onto that and it closes in the middle God. <laughs> like i'm basically sandwiched <laughs> this is so embarrassing <laughs> i'm like sandwiched in that inside of the table tennis table <laughs> and i just didn't know what to do so i just stayed there until everybody had left <laughs> oh god and the canteen cook had to help me out. <laughs> oh, I mean, it, what a story. There's literally, there's no winners in that story no, at all. There's no. nobody, like, right from the start. I mean... I know I, nobody can see me, but my face is actually scalping red. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's been, like, 23 years or like, and I still am so embarrassed. I'm, like, crying with the embarrassment of this story. There's just, there's so much to unpick. Yeah. It's just, like, like I, I knew where you were going because of the song and when you were mm. going up the stairs. I never, never, I expected him to be sitting serenading or, or attempting <laughs> a serenade with a wonderwall and maybe kissing. At no point did I expect him to be lying back, acoustic guitar in hand, <laughs> while she was accompanying him on flute. I a never, flute. <laughs> I never. I mean, my God. And then, the, the, I mean, basically, what, you, what, you've, what you've done is you've created your own music video there for, for that song in the canteen. <laughs> but you should reshoot the ending. <laughs> yeah, the ending was bad. I, I need to land on the pool table and like and flick the pool cue up into my hand. Yes. <laughs> yes. Land on the pool table and somehow your feet breaks balls and they all go yeah. in the pockets. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Apart, apart from the black ball, which flies <laughs> off the table straight into his mouth. Oh, amazing. 
in a yeah. Pulp Fiction-esque like, yes. <laughs> reference to yes. that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, so that is, uh, that is Alanis Morissette Yacht Know and Why It Reminds Me of Being a Teenager. <laughs> Absolutely wonderful. Wonderful. <laughs> Song that always gets you dancing. You've gone for Dance Monkey by Tones and I. So they say, dance for me, dance for me, dance for me, oh, oh. I've never seen anybody do the things you do before. They say, move for me, move for me, move for me, hey, hey. And when you're done, I'll make you do it all again. Yes, so my little boy loves this song. He, like, thinks this is the best music video and he just loves he, he loves the whole start of it and he's just so like I was saying before he's just so into music and it and he's so infectious with it and he has this thing at the moment because he's so little he can't jump but he thinks he is jumping <laughs> <laughs> so he like kind of does this weird thing with his knees where it's it's like a kind of demented Morris dancer <laughs> 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 and it's the best thing and it just makes me laugh and so we dance uh we danced to that through the pandemic um and it still is like if he's kicking off or whatever and we stick a bit of tones and i dance monkey on uh cool and so it's a song that i've been dancing to the most recently it's a cool wee song do you know what it's about well, no, not really. I mean, I've watched the music video and obviously there's a whole load of old people in it. So. Yeah, apart, like, apparently it's about um, the girl, Tones, Tony. Um, she used to be a busker and uh, she wrote it after she'd been busking for a couple of hours and realised that nobody had any attention span. So people were kind of listening. To it. It's basically about the lack of attention span that people have now. And then, so there was all these people watching her, there was drunk people kind of grabbing her telling her she was amazing some people and they just kept trying to make her sing so that's she, she replaced singing with dancing so it's basically she felt like a performing monkey doing these oh. doing this busking see i did not know that but like that sort of melody and and yeah that totally fits into an 18 month old because i tell you his other favorite song that gets him dancing is um i, I think your kids are probably too old for it but dougie um the oh, stick we, song to be dougie the Cartoon character. Yeah, Dougie the dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you heard the stick song? No. You would love it, Mark. It's like a 90s acid throwback. Oh. So it's like, it basically goes, stick, 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 sticky, sticky, stick, 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 <laughs> stick, sticky. It's like proper. And then it goes, like it's 90s, like proper rave. I've already sold. Um, give it a listen. That's his other favourite song that we danced to. So. <laughs> right, right. Uh, best song for a road trip. The next episodes by Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre. Yes, the Yeah, this is like um, a total reflection of where I was when I passed my driving test. So I'd have been like just turned 18 and my brother, who's a massive, massive rap fan, like when I first learned to drive, 
he would have been like 15 and we spent, we're very close, there's only like four years between us and we're really close and we spent a lot of time together and we would go on road trips. Um, he was dating a girl from Aberdeen at one point and so um, he would like, this is when he was a wee bit older, 16 maybe, and um, I would drive him up to Aberdeen and I would, we would play this song because it reminded us of our, like, our youth and when I first passed my test and yeah. Did you ever, did you ever play it? Uh the windows open and act like oh totally rapper. yeah of course of yeah. course we did did you turn up to places and go it's the motherfucking J-A-A. yeah <laughs> yeah and i still like i there's a lot of 90s and like early noughties rap that is like embedded in my head where like if i haven't heard i could have not heard it for ages but i can still do the entire rap yeah yeah i, I love this song i think it's great i love the ending just ends yes. and then just smoke weed every day. Yeah, <laughs> like, smoke yeah. weed every day. This <laughs> <laughs> is so good. And when you were like a teenager, you would like so have that. And I had this um, it one, I think my first car was a bright yellow Corsa. Or no, bright yellow Citroen Saxo. Um, so like the least rap looking car. <laughs> And I also had a Nokia. Do you remember when the Nokia like brick phones that you could change the covers on? Oh god, yeah. And I had like one of them so that I could change the cover, and I had a bright yellow Nokia <laughs> phone. Like that yeah. was giant. Like now, when you think about how giant they were, yeah. But it was <laughs> just a giant aerial coming out of it. <laughs> it was just a burner phone because you were such a baller. Yeah, totally. <laughs> And we used to, like, I used to play this song in my yellow, like, Canary yellow car with my yellow phone, like, because that was that always in rap videos in the in the 90s and early noughties, always had a phone, like, they were always on their phone, and <laughs> you would totally do that thing with, like, one hand on the wheel. I mean, you'd get done for it now. But, like, <laughs> that's three penalty points on your license, <laughs> £60 fine on the spot. <laughs> but, you know, back in the day, nobody cared. <laughs> Just, just getting, just Snoop getting pulled over for being on his phone. Name, it's the motherfucking double G. I love it. Best song uh, from a film. You've gone for the Moulin Rouge soundtrack. I was very into Baz, is it like it, it really anything from Moulin Rouge or uh, Romeo and Juliet, uh, the Baz Luhrmann Romeo and Juliet. I loved all that. I had because it was a big thing in the in the nineties. Like I don't know if you were the same, but everybody had soundtrack albums. That yeah. was just the thing. Oh God, yeah, 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 yeah. And so I had Moulin Rouge. I had Baz Luhrmann, uh, Romeo and Juliet, and I had Studio Fifty Four. Which was a, is a cracking soundtrack, and I still love that soundtrack. But yeah, the Moulin Rouge soundtrack, it, just for you and McGregor and Nicole Kidman, because somebody told the pair of them they could sing. I mean, it's hilarious. <laughs> They're actually not 
as bad as others. Like, like they're not as bad as Russell Crowe. Let's be honest. No, they're not as bad as Russell Crowe. Um, <laughs> There's not my, a high bar. <laughs> my favourite ever in a film is Pierce Brosnan singing in Mamma Mia. I have I have now got to the stage where I actually really enjoy it, and I prefer the, his version of SOS. Like, if I'm listening to, because I love the ABBA version, and yeah. when it when it gets to the when you're gone bit. I'm annoyed that they don't do it as angrily as him. When you're gone, like he's so fucking angry about it. Like. Uh, see, I love that. I love like actors singing, and I love singers acting as well. I just think stay in your wheelhouse. There's very few who can do both. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm struggling right now to think. I mean, I'm sure there are there is somebody who seamless. There's not. I mean, there's. Uh, I've had this conversation before and people have been like, oh, Justin Timberlake. And I'm like, mm, no, no. He's never been in Edinburgh. I've gone, oh, that deserves an Oscar. No. Or a, or a Grammy. No, no, exactly. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. So, yeah, I but I enjoy that. I enjoy people with success coming out of their wheelhouse because somebody's told them that's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever been to, have you ever been to the, the, the actual Milan Rouge in Paris? I have not, but I have a friend, um, Lara Bros of Bros Bagels, partner, yes. Mark Miller, who is an amazing photographer, and he, just before COVID, and like literally, he snuck in by the seat of his pants in the February, he did their most recent calendar. Oh, cool. Yeah, so he photo- he, he did all the photography for that, and... Um, and because of that, we were all like, oh, we'll go, you know, when they launch. But then obviously none of that happened. Um, I mean, the calendar was launched and things, but there was just no fancy party and stuff yeah. like that. So I've never been. Have you been? I've been. I've never been in it. When me and my wife were on honeymoon, uh, mm. we went to Paris. But I was expecting it to be, I mean, it, it, does, it, is, it does look like it's supposed to look like it is a big um, windmill. Mm-hmm. But then I was expecting it like proper hedonistic and like fucking... <laughs> midgets hanging out the window (laughs) women with flamethrowers and all this kind of shit and it's just it's just another building because and and it's it's like it's like everything you see it's like any 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 um landmark anywhere there's always going to be other stuff around it do you know Mm. what i mean so it kind of takes away when you look next to it and there's a fucking riddle you know, you're yeah. kind of going, oh, God. It's like... I'm not in 1920s Paris. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's, like when, it's like when you see the other, when the flipped view of the pyramids, and you go, all right, there's just a wee shitty town next to that. It's not out in the desert like it looks like it is. Like, when you see, like, you see, like, films on the pyramids and you ride for ages on, on camels, and you go, you could walk that, mate. There's a fucking bus that runs. <laughs> Uh, totally. No, yeah. Never meet your heroes uh, or, or your heroes' buildings. <laughs> no, no, yeah, yeah. Never meet your favourite buildings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. What are your other big choices now? A song that makes you happy, and you have mm. picked Karma Chameleon by Culture Club. Karma, 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 I'm weird, right? <laughs> I like this. I've not heard this song in a long time. And then when I was putting together 
your playlist on Spotify. I, I listened to it again. And I was like, this is a really, really good song. Oh, it's a cracking song. And also, have you ever heard um, the slow? So there's a few people who have done covers of it slow, like slow covers. And it's really beautiful. Like when you listen to it, because it's a song about, you know, it is a song about love and it's a song about loving yourself and it's a song about alienation and, you know, it's, it's so many things. And when you listen to it, it's slowed down. It's really beautiful. Oh, yeah. I like when they do that with songs. But they didn't do it with a song. But have you ever heard, you know, Red Red Wine? Yeah. Uh, by UB40. But it's originally by Neil Diamond. Uh-huh. And when you, like the UB40 version, because I, I really don't like UB40 at all. Uh, who does? And, How uh, are they so I know, successful? I know, I've, I know. I've never met anybody who likes UB40, oh, but yet. <laughs> and they are a... Uh, their version's always kind of like upbeat and reggae and stuff. And then you listen to Neil Diamond one, and it's just basically about a guy that's miserable sitting just tanning red wine. Yeah. Uh, he's essentially drinking just to forget about everything that's going on in his life. Have you ever seen Boy George? Have you ever seen the episode of the A-Team where Culture Club yes. appears as guest stars? Yes. I, wa- I watched a clip of it earlier on just to him. It's the weirdest. It, it's just, it's so surreal. <laughs> it's the best cat. I love cameos like that. Yeah, they get like the, there's like a mix up with the booking, and it's not like it's not because the same thing happens in the Blues Brothers, but you can kind of understand that. But nobody is making that much of a mix up where it's a cowboy bar, and they're looking for, and then they book Culture Club, and then they go on and do Carnegie and the cowboys fucking love it. <laughs> like, I like I am I, I like Culture Club. I mean. um my other favourite Culture Club reference, like more recent reference, it's not recent at all actually, like, but you know like in The Wedding Singer, where they have the, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the guy who can only sing the one Culture Club song. Yes, yes. Do, do you really want to hurt me? Yeah. 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 <laughs> and then he just keeps singing it over and over again because Robbie, the main singer, is like having a screaming argument <laughs> Like with Linda. Like, yeah, that's <laughs> fantastic, yeah. Yeah, I'd forgotten all about that as well, yeah. That's brilliant. No, that's a great, that's a really, really good happy song. But this was like my song that I love. So this was like my dance monkey. So, oh, right, okay. So my mum used to play this when I was in a bad mood when I, and I was a little, a little girl and it was one of the first songs that I could sing. And my mum always like says, you know, like I'd be in my pram, like karma, 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 karma. Um, so that is my, that's my dance monkey. So ah, very nice. that's why it makes me happy. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. Next up, a sad song. A song that always makes you sad. And you have picked Summer Over the Rainbow. Yes. So I know, like, for this is a sad song for loads of people. But um, so, uh, as you know, my best friend, Victoria, uh, Tori, passed away four years ago now. And um, it was a song that was played, well, it wasn't played, actually, it was performed by a vocalist who was also a friend of hers um, at her funeral. And yeah, so just whenever I hear it, it reminds me. I mean, it's sad and happy because it, it reminds me of, of her because um, it was a song that she loved and it was a song that, that meant a lot to her. And also, like, so she had cystic fibrosis 
and she had um, a, a lung transplant, which gave us an extra six and a half years with her that we wouldn't have had, which was amazing. And then she went into a chronic um, rejection. So she knew, she knew that her time was limited and she had a, <laughs> she was a very, like, and you know this, like she was a very matter of fact person and she was also very kind of practical. And she had real ideas about what she wanted her funeral to look like. And she, everybody had been left all these instructions. <clears throat> and basically, the day that she died, I got an email from her, which, which isn't creepy at all, giving me this this like strict set of instructions about what she wanted for her funeral, which it turned out was, was like five days later. And so I just basically spent these five days pulling together what essentially is the same amount of stuff you pull together for a wedding right because she wanted like a sweetie table and she wanted everything vintage and she went like and I did all this and that you know in the funeral when and there was like and she had this whole thing that she wanted the she wanted the funeral to be a party that went on till like one two o'clock in the morning and that is what it was and Mm -hmm. we totally we did it the way that she wanted to do it and it and you know completely respected her wishes and I was like a frazzled mess at the end of it and then I got another email from her. She's dead, right? <laughs> like I got another email from her basically going, like, this was to keep you busy. And now you're not going to be busy anymore and you're going to be sad. Oh, God. But, but, you know, like, don't be sad. And then it, for the last few years, and I don't know how many of these I've got to come, but for the last few years on her birthday every year, I get uh, a card from somewhere over the rainbow with a picture of her and like a little like quote which I know her mum sends like I know this is like what her mum was told to do or or maybe her sister I'm not entirely sure who sends them but like I get this uh somewhere over the rainbow card did she like the film as well yes that's where that's where the love of the song has like kind of originated from and she's like um yeah it was just a real yeah she had a real connection to to the film I think I don't want to speak out of town but I think it was a film that she watched with her grandparents right and so it was like a kind of connection via you know that so it was all connected for her yeah um so yeah but it does it makes me sad because well it, like it's one of those things that you can't you, it's not just sad it's happy because like obviously you, oh absolutely yeah you know and her biggest fear was being forgotten like that was her whole thing like she spoke to me many times about that you know eventually I'll be forgotten and like it'll be like I didn't exist and so I do you know a a comedy gig for her called Giggles for Glenn every year to raise money for cystic fibrosis she she raised thousands and thousands of pounds while um, she was living she did loads of different I mean I know you know this because she did loads of things for her for her events that she did Um, and I said that would carry that on and then she wouldn't be forgotten so yeah that was like a, a thing it was a great night out uh, we had. It was Halloween, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, because her birthday was Halloween. Yeah, and we had to dress up as uh, dead celebrities. Yes. So I went as I went as JFK, which I'm still very chuffed about because I'd managed to find like putty and stuff, so I'd created a bullet in my head. Yeah. And then you had gone. Italy had gone <laughs> as Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, you'd gone as like very cool things. Yeah, and you went. <laughs> who did? Did you go as Anna Nicole Smith? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I went with Anna Nicole Smith with a pair of fake boobs <laughs> and, and basically underwear on and a baby with who's the daddy. <laughs> <laughs> it 
It was so inappropriate. And our friend Andy Vaughan went as the crocodile hunter. Now, people listening to this are probably like, what's the big deal? But it was so not in good taste because both of those people had just died. Yeah, it was, they were very, very recent deaths, yeah. Because Andy had, <laughs> Andy had made, like, a stingray's stinger yeah. come, coming out of his chest. <laughs> yeah, out of, like, tinfoil. <laughs> and he was holding a crocodile. Or he, had he stitched a crocodile to him as well? Like, he had a... Oh, it was my, but it was a great night. We ended up in then the polo lounge. Do you remember? We did end up in the polo lounge. Yeah, I remember we'd we'd been for a a meal beforehand, and we went to the place that serves like different uh, different types of meats. Yeah, we went to is it Kubla Khan? Yeah, and I always I always I always like the idea of those places. And yeah. then you you go up and you go. This taste. This essentially just tastes like whatever the fucking person had before me had. Like I'm not. I'm not. This is. I, I don't know if this is ostrich or not. It could yeah. be. It could be anything. Yeah, because it was like ostrich and crocodile, and yeah. like you're like, I think this is chicken, mate. Yeah, <laughs> and then it's it's when you eat it and you're chewing it for about nine hours, you go, this is why this shit isn't. There's no fat on this animal at all. Like I'm, I'm just eating. This is gristle. Yeah. I'm eating a cheetah here, and it's pure muscle. That's all I'm... <laughs> oh, that was such a fun night out. But you know, like, night. you remember what happened at the end of that night out? No. So, like, uh, so Tori was on the transplant list, and she's supposed to, obviously, because she was on the transplant list, she's supposed to not drink or anything. And it, But her birthday was Halloween, and we'd all gone out. And I guess, essentially, because we didn't know if she was going to get a transplant or not, so we... we you know, it could have been our last birthday as far as we were aware. And we all got really, really drunk. We're in the polo lounge and she got really, really drunk. And she used to be able to drink, like, I don't know if you remember this about her, but she could drink any anybody under the table. Yeah, she could, yeah. Uh, and mainly because as a result of her condition, she had an in a large, enlarged liver. So I don't think that's fair. Do you know what I mean? That wasn't that wasn't a fair competition. She had more liver to be processing the shit. So she was like drunk, and we got home at I don't know three or four o'clock in the morning, and like we're that wave. Like I think we'd made like chips and cheese or something, and we're lying about the flat, and it's like daylight is coming through the window, and then the next thing she had like a special phone for the transplant phone, and it went off, and we were like no. And then she answered it and she had to, the, and they sent an ambulance. And I, I remember because I was parked on, because we lived at like, well, you, you and Andy lived along the road in the centre of Glasgow. Yeah. And I had to phone Andy. And then without even thinking about it, I like drove my car, which was parked because I knew that, you know, like the parking restrictions were going to come in in the morning. And I drove my car and parked it in his garage. I'd been drinking all day. <laughs> But I didn't even, I was like, fuck, right. And then an ambulance came, picked us up and drove us to Newcastle. And I still had a pair of fake boobs on. And by this point, I had a fake boobs and I put a dressing gown on. And I went down to Newcastle like that. And then, of course, they took her in and they put her under anaesthetic and all the other stuff. And I had to phone her mum and dad and they drove down. Anyway, long story short, she she, she actually, because I always called two people and she actually never got the transplant. The other girl got the transplant. And so then... We basically, she had to come to from the anaesthetic and then we had to drive up, our dad had to drive down and get us and we drove back up and I still had lit with my fake boobs over my shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> but when the ambulance driver picked us up, she looked at us and she went, um, have you been drinking tonight, Victoria? And she went, no. And I was like, mate, 
you're dressed as a drunk Marilyn Monroe. Like, aye, aye. <laughs> those were the days. <laughs> right, a couple of quick ones. A, yeah. a song that reminds you of a friend or family member. You've picked Black Velvet by Alana Miles. So this is my mum's karaoke song. It's totally inappropriate as a mom's karaoke song. <laughs> it's the most inappropriate karaoke song that your mum could sing at your 16th birthday. She did, oh my God, she did it at your 16th birthday? Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, properly with a whole like, <laughs> and she was wearing black velvet at the time as well, which I think is why she chose it. And then my pal, Mary, who's a cracker, like she's a, she's a brilliant girl, she just thought my mum was the best. And Mary was like three sheets to the wind. Unbeknownst to like my parents, we were all hammered. You know? <laughs> uh, so they were like, you can have a few wines. We're like, okay, that'll go on top of the Mad Dog 2020 three <laughs> bottles that we've had before we come in to the party. Uh, and my mum my and dad, my dad especially is a huge, huge karaoke fan. Could your mum carry it? Yeah, she is a good singer. Like, she's no Alana Miles, but she... <laughs> but yeah... Uh, but it's just the inappropriateness of singing that <laughs> song at your. I love it. It's a sexy song. I mean, it really it's is. a goddamn it's... sexy song, yeah. man. Like, and she does yeah. it well. Like, she she imb- she leans in to the sexiness. <laughs> like, I think my boyfriend at the time was like, "Oh, right." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's just all these like sixteen-year-old boys like with their hands over there. Yeah. <laughs> One of them grabs a guitar and starts playing Wonderwall. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> that is my mum in an inappropriate karaoke song choice. I love it now. She doesn't sing it. I'm like, get black velvet on, mum. Exactly, aye. It's not Christmas without your mum doing black velvet. <laughs> totally. Next time you come round, Mike, forget that you do black velvet. <laughs> well, moving on from that, your karaoke song. Uh, I've never heard this song before. It's a uh, Goodbye Earl by the Chicks. Like I said, I never heard this song. I-, I loved it. I loved it immediately. And was taken by surprise uh, about, the, yep, se- about the second verse when it goes from yeah. being a jaunty country western song to being about domestic abuse and, absolutely. Then, and then murder yeah. <laughs> and then yeah. murder absolutely uh, yeah I think it's uh, was it he the line that I think is uh, cracking is he walked right through that restraining order and put her in intensive care it, it, it hits hard that like I know it's a again me and my mum like inappropriate karaoke song, but it, for if you do that in a room full of women, it, it, fuck the lap, fucking yes, <laughs> kill him, what a prick. It reminds me like listening to it, it's like a whole Coen Brothers film in the one song. Like you can imagine, you can yeah. imagine like a film being made about that just 
the story in that song and being a really good dark comic thriller yeah absolutely i mean i just i love it as a song and i've loved it for years and it's been my karaoke song for years and it is still one of those ones that when it comes because it's not like i do karaoke a lot do you know what i mean but when when i get the opportunity to do it and i and when i do it my I built it, right? I'm no, I'm no backwards at coming forwards. I go for it, uh, and I've had so many people come up to me afterwards and be like, "Like, I, I don't know how to feel about that because it's, it's a, it's a dark fucking yeah. song, but it's, it's a cracker. Oh, it's a brilliant song, and that's that's what I was meaning about like because that's the kind of themes that are emerging from this is most of these songs are by incredibly strong forthright women. And a lot of them are about how men are just dicks. They get, you know, it's like, it's like just get like even listen to the kind of songs. There's a, there's a film I watched a couple of weeks ago called Promising Young Woman. I don't know if you've seen yes, it. Yes, I haven't seen it yet. But it looks great. It's an, it's an incredibly good film. And I remember watching it, and then at the end of it, genuinely feeling like I was an absolute prick. Like just, just, just to be associated. And this isn't me like trying to appeal to like the wokeness of like the entire. But I'm just genuinely going. Can hell we really are arseholes sometimes? <laughs> it is, I don't know, and it's like, I, I, yeah. Now that you're saying about the theme, and I guess like I do, yeah, I, I totally see that coming through. But I'm not by any minute like I'm. I've always kind of held my own. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, I'm very much of the like, yeah, I'm not like I won't blame my lack of opportunity or, or is it or the opposite? Do you know what I mean? On the fact that I that I'm a woman, you know, I think it's all I'm fairly yeah. equal. But yeah, there's there's a lot of um, yeah. I mean, Do you still think in the comedy world there's a long way to go. Um. I mean, do you know what? I can only speak to my own experience and I have been shocked by what I've heard over the last year and certainly what's come out over the pandemic. And I know a lot of industries have been rocked by, um, you know, a lot of revelations off the back of Me Too. And then, you know, just now in this time where people have time to reflect and think and, and evaluate their lives and a lot that's come out over the last year. And I've been, I've been, because I, I genuinely did feel that over the 16, 17 years that had become, that had got a lot better, but then I'm in a different position to young women coming yes. in. Um, so it's very difficult. And also I'm like, you know, I'm older. There's things that I remember would happen to me when I was younger, both on and off the comedy scene um, that I dealt with. They don't happen anymore. And you know, there's there's a small part of you that has to understand that's because you're you're old, <laughs> people, and and you're a mother, and people look yeah. at you in a different way, and you know, and you're married, and you know, all of these things change perception and and all and change, yeah, change your experience of a situation. So what I would say is my experience of um, comedy is pretty equal in the most part, but I'm well aware that that is not the experience, or I've heard hugely over the last year that that's not the experience of a lot of young women coming into the industry and that saddens yeah. me what I would say what I do think has changed um is that you know like I am about raising women up and 
I think a, a lot of women in the industry now are about ra- raising each other up and that wasn't always the way and that's not to slag off other women but it was just so there was just so little so so few women in the industry and we're all pitted mm-hmm. against each other so it was very different and now it's more like the the tide has turned the worm mm-hmm. has turned that like you know and and we have you know uh, it's just good to see women supporting women and I'm very much about supporting yeah. women um and and raising other women up because like for every woman you raise up you raise yourself up do you know it's not it's not competitive it's only competitive if you make it competitive and and i'm not about that i'm really about being support as supportive yeah, as i possibly good. can be i, I mean that's okay that's been good there's been a lot of, again i'm not trying to be i'm not trying to be like patronizing or any like one of these kind of like listen guys i understand I'm here to, I'm going to keep quiet while you tell me your experiences. But there's a lot, I mean, there is a, a genuine lot of stuff that I've been realised. Like, I was talking to my wife. I kind of realised when I've been reading stuff, because I'd always say to my wife whenever she was out, like, running or walking or something, I always said, how come you never listen to music? Because she loves music as well. And I never actually realised the kind of, that was, I hate this kind of word as well, but that kind of privilege of being a dude and walking about and having the confidence to just completely shut out the world and not have to worry about anyone that's around you and just listen to love. I mean, I'll, I'll walk along listen to Metallica and I can, I can like, I take my earphones off, my ears are ringing because I've been listening to it so loud. And never yeah. once have I ever given a thought to the fact that I've got to keep my wits about me. No, totally. I, yeah, I mean, it is, it is just, it, it is a privilege and it is one that, yeah, why would you realise? Because that's your lived experience, and that you know, there's there's lots of things that, I mean, on my own podcast we've been talking about, you know, the differences of. So my podcast is about uh, motherhood, um, and being a comedian and a mother, and I do it with three other, uh, two other, comedian mums, and and we have comedian mums on and comedian dads, and you know that's, but one of the things we talk about is like the, you know, the difference. The privilege that you have as a white woman giving birth is different to a, a black woman giving birth, and like the the ratio at the moment is like you know is I think it's four to one. So black women are four times more likely to die in childbirth than a white woman in the UK. Wow. In the UK, and it used to be five, and you know uh, we've got Athena Bueno on the show coming up. Um, the next episode that we've got and you know she talks about that and why that is and her experience of um, being a mixed race woman giving birth and yeah just how these things happen and it's not necessarily it's about privilege and it's it's about people's assumptions and it's just very small assumptions that can make can change your life on a hairpin yeah. you know it's not always about the big yeah. things it can just be about tiny little biases um, and I think that's the same thing between the difference of men and women. And I think there was a whole thread on Twitter last year is like what women would do if men disappeared for a day. And it was all stuff like I would go for a run listening to music. I'd walk home in the dark through a shady neighborhood at, at three in the morning. It was all just really simple life stuff. Yeah, stuff that should just be normal anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Another strong woman now, which for your best cover song, you've picked uh, mm-hmm. Sinead. Sinead O'Connor, Nothing Compares to You. Cause nothing compares, nothing compares to you. 
I think for my money, it is the best cover that's ever been. Have you ever heard Prince doing it? Yeah. yeah. It's not as good. Ah. No. <laughs> you can't go in. It's, it deserves to be hard. It totally is. And like I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people who know that song won't realise that it is a no, cover. Probably not. Do you know there'll no. be a lot of people who don't know that that wasn't her song um, because she just connected to it so viscerally. Yeah. Um, and I think also the music video, because it kind of came out at the time where music videos were a big, big deal. And, you know, quite often you'd see the music video before you heard the song on the radio because that's yeah. how it was launched. And I think that just that, like, black polo neck, black background, stark white features, shaved head, huge big green eyes. Like, <laughs> it's I'm just so... And crying and... And I've read loads of reasons, like the one that um, I think is has the most weight to it is that um, it, her mother had just passed. Yeah. And so when she does the line, all the flowers that you planted, um, and that's when she starts to cry. Uh, and she just, like, there was definitely some sort of connection there, whether that's a true story or, or, or what it is. But yeah, it's pretty. Oh, and, and it was also one of my many 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 breakup songs <laughs> of my teens early 20s another strong woman for your guilty pleasure uh justin bieber if you like the way you look that much oh baby you should go and love yourself and if you think that i'm still holding on to something you should go and love yourself so this kind of where this started was I think when I first gave up um because you remember you know this it took me a long time to decide that I was going to be a full-time comedian a lot longer than it should have done and I worked pretty much I ran a you know charity and did other things and when I first decided to become a comedian I, I, I couldn't quite give up all other work and so I took on a little bit of freelancing where I was teaching drama in schools and it was in and it was a alongside a dance teacher um called Lisa Kennedy and she used to use a lot of Bieber uh when she was teaching dance and I didn't realize it was Bieber so I, I just got really into it and then I was singing along to it and I think like my husband was like why are you singing Justin Bieber <laughs> I was like is that Justin Bieber but yeah I like the Beebs. I like he's just he's quite moany. Like that whole it's too late now to say sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See you do, I do, I do the Beebs. Yeah. Like he's another one that's like there seems to be this uh like Ed Sheeran and Justin Bieber and a couple other people that have like they've gone the tattoo mm. way, but not in a cool way where they they, they just look as if like a two year old scrolled all over. Exactly what they do. They look like the kind of shit your kids bring home from school and expect you to put up. You're like, I'm not putting that in the <laughs> yeah. fucking wall. It looks like Ed Sheeran's chest. <laughs> bring me something, you know, that I can be proud of, son. <laughs> right, your next, uh, your next pick is a, a hidden gem. You picked a band called Common Rotation. Your mama don't know, your daddy don't get it. I'm up on the stage singing, don't you forget. Don't touch me, I'm alive, why? And I'll be singing a song till these lines close out. 
So, Common Rotation's lead singer is an actor called Adam Bush, who was um, most famous for um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer and being the person who killed Tara. Any Buffy fans at the moment will be like, that dick! <laughs> Anyone that's just started Buffy's going fucking Tara dies, what? I know, sorry, spoiler alert, Tara dies and uh, it kicks Willow right off. And Willow's a lesbian, right? (laughs) So, like, yeah, if you're only on season one, this is all going to come as a terrible shock. So, so, yeah, Adam um, was a friend of mine. Um, I'll not uh, go into the reasons why, but anyway, Adam and I are pals and... um, he has this band called Common Rotation and they toured with the Might Be Giants, who I'm sure a lot of people will be more familiar with, yeah. Little Birdhouse in Your Soul. Um, so they toured with the Might Be Giants and um, they were originally called 20 Orange Street. Um, and they're basically childhood friends who formed a band when they were kids and then went off and did various different things but still have always had this band and this band has like endured for you know the length of their friendship which is like 30 years 25 30 years and uh yeah so they have this band called common rotation and yeah i mean i've got loads of stories about them i i was in la for a while and we had album launches together uh, we had our party broken, our avalanche party broken up by the police. Wow, Sting. not the band. <laughs> yeah, Sting was like, "You're not as good as me." Uh, so yeah, uh, on Sunset Boulevard, it was the most Hollywood cool. thing I'd ever been involved cool. in. Uh, and then they came. They did when I came. I, I came back home, and I had to move back in with my parents. And I was. I felt very like my life. And this is at twenty two or something. What an idiot I was. That my life hadn't turned out the way I expected it because I wasn't a famous Hollywood actor. And then they came on tour and they did this thing called Clear Channel where they were playing, rather than playing clubs and have to pay clubs for a venue hire and things, they made this film for MTV called Clear Channel, and they played in people's living rooms all over the world and they came and played in my mum and dad's living room and I remember like asking my dad I was like dad and as I said earlier mum and dad are big party animals and I said dad like can this band come and play in the living room from from LA and he was like yeah fine he's like shall I just ask the neighbours round and I was like sure I asked the neighbours around I was like but we are actually going to sell tickets and like nor like people will buy tickets and come that we don't know my dad's like oh I'm not sure about that and I was like come on this is cool so eventually I, I convinced my dad this was a great idea and uh, I think he still thought you know it was going to be a couple of boys turn up in like a mini and like get out with their guitars so when a full length tour bus <laughs> came chuffing up like the very narrow street that my parents live at the top of <laughs> I think my dad was like oh holy shit <laughs> but it, it gave him such kudos God, in the neighborhood yeah. for like for like a decade and yeah so this band came in and they played in my mum and dad's living room and it was filmed for MTV and um yeah and they and they're a great band uh, yeah really really good band. so you did you so you went out to LA to become an actress what, yeah. what, I mean, what was it like? Is is it like people would expect to go out to LA? Like, did you hear the whole, did you do the whole pilot season kind of shit and all that kind of? No, I didn't because I was right. shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
but no, I mean, it's very hard to get. You need an agent. It's like anything in this world. It's like you need an agent and things like that to get into pilot season. And, you know, I was very wet behind the ears, very young, just straight out of um, drama school. And um, I had met these guys <clears throat> in Scotland. Um, and I'll not go into it, right? Because it just it sounds wrong, but it wasn't. It was all actually very good, clean fun. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so yeah I knew these guys that were on Buffy but Buffy wasn't like the phenomenon that it now is and then it became to be um, and by that time I was like really firm friends um, with quite a few of them and so yeah I went out and I did a lot of runner work did lots of like uh, yeah making teas and coffees for for famous people and their entourages and um and I did that's where I started I kind of started the whole comedy thing is like you know um I started doing kind of improv improv olympic in um in LA and because that was what a lot of actors did who weren't getting you know it was like another way to get recognized and Mike Myers had done it and like you know loads of famous uh, comedy actors had gone through kind of the improv scene and things so I started to do who's, that uh, who's the most Hollywood person you've met Dustin oh, Hoffman. good one. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's classic Hollywood. Yeah, I met Dustin Hoffman in, in a t-shirt shop. Um, which actually, I met him in there and then I walked out and smacked right into Ronnie Wood. <gasps> it, was a, it was a hell of a day. <sighs> My God. <laughs> like, walked into Ronnie Wood. I could have killed him. Do <laughs> oh, you know what I mean? I could have, could have taken uh, out a hip. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, even then, Ronnie Wood would be about 90, so... Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Next one. Uh, a, partic- a song that reminds you of a particular moment or place. And you've gone for Stevie Nicks, Edge of Seventeen. Stephen X, Edge of 17, um, is what I listen to. I play in my earphones um, before I go on stage during the Fringe. So, uh, and I've had it as Fringe walk-on music. So I think for my, so yeah, so for my 2018 show, my 2018 show, it was my actual walk-on music, but it's always been since I started doing the Fringe. It's like the last song I listened to. It's like my empowerment song before I go I can on see, stage. I can see why this song get you going because mm. it is it's a class yeah. song it's a it's really really song. good song and it's got that amazing uh, intro that's been ripped off by such people as Destiny's yeah. Child Nancy uh, but it's been it's been used in various guises uh, by others as well but yeah it's got that amazing um, baseline uh, right, next one. Just free for all, one of your favourite songs, and you have picked mm-hmm. a "Come Up to the House" by Tom Waits. Come on up to the house. The world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. You got to come on up to the house. So my husband introduced me to Tom Waits. I'd never heard of Tom Waits. <clears throat> in my life um, until I was 26, 27 when I met my husband, uh, well 
when my husband and I got together. Uh, and he's a massive, massive Tom Waits fan. And anybody who knows Tom Waits and listens to him, it's, it's a very acquired taste. <laughs> you know, you either love Tom Waits or, or you hate him. And this particular song... I mean, loads of people have different interpretations of it being like a religious song and things like that. And it's not, he's not a religious guy. Uh, and, uh, but it, yeah, it's just basically, it's kind of the way that um, my husband and I, and, and actually the way I was brought up, certainly the way my mother and father kind of live their lives is like, do you know if you're in trouble, if you've if there's shit going down, you know, come to us like come on up to the house like you'll always have a space yeah. here you'll always be welcome here and we'll never turn you away um and like my mum and dad have always like that's how I grew up our house our door was always open we had random people like I grew up with a plethora of uh, sisters and brothers who weren't my actual sisters and brothers like people who came and lived with us for such a period of time that I thought yeah. of them like that <clears throat> and uh yeah my mum was brought up like that as well. Her mum used to take in pregnant girls in the town and all that sort of thing, give them a space and a home. And yeah, and we we very much feel like that's how we operate Mm -hmm. here. Like, you know, the house is all, you know that, Mark, you used to stay here at the fringe. I did, yeah. The the, the door is always open. I did, I absolutely did. You'll never get turned away. I did. And that's that's how we operate. Caught my testicles in. You did in the not your bed, but, in the uh, bed, yeah. not in my bed. No, let's <laughs> yeah. be very I clear about that. I'll tell this uh, story. Uh, yeah, you t- you tell the story. So um, <laughs> I used to stay uh, with uh, Jay and her husband uh, during the uh, Edinburgh Fringe when I first started doing it, and uh, there was a in the spare room uh, a kind of a bunk bed had been made. It was like an office, an office kind of bed because it was a desk underneath and then a bunk bed above it. Uh, it was an Ikea it was monster Ikea and um, it wasn't put together particularly well it was very sugary and uh, one night I came I think we put it together yeah, drunk one night I came back uh, about four in the morning uh, very very pissed and climbed up uh, and then kind of threw myself onto so I climbed a ladder threw myself onto the bed and felt a pain that <laughs> I don't think I've I don't think I've felt since and I never want to feel ever again. And it was that you know that pain where it doesn't hurt for the first what ten seconds, but you know that something's coming. And in that <laughs> ten seconds you've got that slow realization of what has happened. And then I realized that I had left my testicles on the other side <laughs> of the ladder and they had somehow <laughs> raveled themselves around this ladder and I was now basically stretched between that I, I was one with the bunk bed now uh, and so I had to unpick them like a fucking knot in my shoe and then uh, basically lie beside them all night and just wait for wait for the swelling to go down uh, so yeah That's... yeah and we we were just woken up by the, the, the howling <laughs> Of a man in pain, it's it is a sound that will never yeah. leave me. If you've ever heard foxes having sex, that was the kind of sound I made. <laughs> and I just remember me going, "Are you all right?" And you going, "Don't yeah. come in!" For God's sake, don't come in! I'm untying my testicles. <laughs> so yeah, uh, come on up yeah. to the house like that. 
Come up to the house and disable yourself on our bed. Uh, right, we have come to the end of your playlist and a song wow. to take us out to end it all off. You've picked Good Riddance, Time of Your Life by Green Day. It's something unpredictable, but in the end is right. I hope you had the time of your life. It's an amazing song. It was, uh, I think I went to a hell of a lot of weddings of people of my age that this was the last yeah. song. <laughs> It's kind of apparently it's it's one of the most popular songs played at uh, American proms now because it's, it's, ah, it's got that kind of nostalgic kind of reflectiveness where they go fuck they, they genuinely was the absolute time of my life and now I'm heading off into adulthood. No, absolutely, uh, and it's quite sad, mm-hmm. isn't it? <laughs> that. That you think that at, uh, at your prom. I mean, when I think, like my twenties were the time of my life, and even actually my very early thirties. It's when it's when things start to slip away from you. Uh, you know, when the shine leaves the skin. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's that's when you're like, oh, oh, can I buy this in a bottle? God damn you, SD Lauder. <laughs> That's uh yeah, uh it's a I, I love it as a song. I I loved Green Day, I went to see Green Day live a number of times. Um because it's actually called Good Riddance. Uh, but everybody refers to it as Time of Your Life. Yeah, Billy Joe Billy um, Armstrong wrote it about his girlfriend. She was moving to Ecuador. And he was kind Ecuador. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> she was moving to Ecuador to love with Sash. Um and uh he uh he, he wrote it as like a kinda Ah well, fuck you. I don't need you anyway. But also, please, please don't go. Um, which I think, and it was supposed to be on Dookie as well. He'd written, he'd written it for Dookie and didn't play it to the rest of the band at all because he didn't think they'd like it. And he just kind of kept mm. it back because it wouldn't have fit on Dookie because it's it's no, proper it like two and a half minute punk songs. And then they brought mm. it out, and then some fans loved it. Some fans returned the Nimrod album because of all that. What the hell is this shit? <laughs> I love it. There's like one verse in it which I think is is the I think that holds it all together for me, which is the um so take the photographs and still frames in your mind, hang it on a shelf in good health and good time. And I think that's very much of its time because after our generation people didn't have physical photographs. No. <laughs> so you know, because nobody printed physical photographs. Yeah. The kind of people going back to it now, like we've come full circle. But um, like we were, I think our generation were probably the kind of last ones that, you know, kind of did the, like you would cut out all the pictures of your pals and stick them down on like a collage. And like when you were at uni, you had that thing where, I mean, this is, I don't know if guys did this, but every girl's bedroom you went into in university halls of residence. And then when we all got our flats, it had the mirror with, Oh, all of your friends photos yeah. like round the mirror you know and that for me is just yeah it's that sort of trying to keep a hold of that for me it's very much a song actually not so much about leaving school but about starting uni and that whole like you're trying to hold on to like that tightness and that community that you had mm-hmm. in school that you then trans try and transfer 
to your early 20s and you have to go through that really painful thing that nobody thinks is going to happen and it happens to absolutely everybody where there's people who, who meant a huge amount in your teenage years that you just never ever think of or see again. I know, again. I know. Yeah, you're right. It is. I, never even, I never even thought about that line. Because um, now it would be something like scroll through the photos, no, no, pass to one of your fucking breakfast. <laughs> no, no, not the 19,000 screenshots you've accidentally taken. No, it's just, God, I, I hate modern. I honestly hate, I fucking hate modern life. I really do. Like, like that kind of that kind of time of your life when you were like saying, because uh, you were like saying your 20s was the time of your life. I know what the time of my life was. And it was the day I went to see Oasis at Loch Lomond. <laughs> And those eight hours were the best time of my life, and it's all gone downhill <laughs> since then. Weren't you like fifteen? I was fifteen. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's why I'm so miserable. That's grim. That <laughs> One day, grim. August, when I was fifteen, was the best time of my life. Because <laughs> uh, uh, I do like I I remember it well because I was there and fourteen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because everybody who was anybody oh, was God, there, yeah. but uh, yeah. yeah, it would definitely be the like retweet the photographs oh. and uh, and and double click yeah. like. <laughs> yeah, put the filter through the photographs so you don't look like the yeah. ugly disgrace you actually look like when you. <laughs> put yeah, put the what's the one that they all put on there? The one that gives everybody massive eyes and oh, giant. Yeah, they all got like brat like, stalls. Why does yeah. everybody look like yeah. a blooming sex yeah. doll? Yeah, or a brat yeah. stall, like totally. Do you know what I hate most about uh, photos and phones? Um, sometimes if I'm replying to someone on WhatsApp, uh, if you want to send a mm. picture to someone, click the wee camera thing, but it's always set to selfie mode. And Aye, so then you see it's un- I mean, it's un- I have never, ever turned on selfie mode and looked at myself and gone, you're looking all right today. You look, you look like you've been in a hospital for like nine months. <laughs> I don't understand what it is. Like with the, with the technology of phone, why do you look so shit in your own world? It's like... Is that way it's like, is this what everybody else sees? <laughs> I, I read this thing quite recently that it, it, that said that, you know, when you look in the mirror, <clears throat> your brain actually does a thing where it, it, it sees you looking better than you actually look. Oh, is that right? Uh huh. So you're you basically your eyeballs filter your own face right, for your brain to cope with it, right? And that is a thing that happens. Um, and it, it, so I've looked in the mirror so many times, but like, man, you look like a piece mm. of shit. Not realizing that even as shit as it's I thought I looked, <laughs> it's yeah. even worse. Than that. Yeah, yeah. It's your brain going, and I've improved this, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've put a yeah. filter on this and you don't just jump out a window. <laughs> this is hard I've worked in my life, to be honest, to make yeah. you even look this presentable. So for God's sake, don't leave the house. Yeah. <laughs> don't look directly at the child. You're going to scar. Like. Uh, Jay, thank you so much uh, for mm. doing this. It's been a huge amount of fun talking about music with uh, you. And thank you. For... I've had so much, I've laughed so much, man. That's uh, good. Good. Uh, yeah. Good luck editing the two hours. I know, that one. <laughs> thank you very much, Jay. Take care of yourself. See you soon. You too. Bye-bye. See you soon. Bye. It's something unpredictable. Right. I hope you have the time of your life
And that's that. Episode 3 done. Cheers for listening. Thank you very much to Jay for being such a fascinating guest and telling us some absolutely belting stories and giving us some belting tunes. As always, you can listen to Jay's playlist. If you're looking for some new music to listen to, it will all be on Spotify. The link will be put up in the description of this podcast, as will all of Jay's social media links. So please go on and follow her there and go and see her when we're allowed back to do gigs again. Uh, Also check out Jay's podcast that she does. Uh, It's called uh, Mother Half, How the Mother Half Lives. She does that with two other comedians talking all about being a mum. Please follow me on all of the social medias that will be posted on the podcast. I have got two shows coming out. There is a show I'm doing in De Vries, my homecoming show that uh, I am doing in July. Uh, Social distancing means that the actual in-live tickets are all sold out, although we are hoping now that Dumfries has been put down to level one that there's going to be more tickets released. You can also buy to watch it on stream, so uh, please go and check that out uh, at the DG Arts Festival. Uh, all of the links will be up on my social media. And I have two Edinburgh shows coming for whatever is going to be the Fringe this year. I'm doing them at the Corn Exchange, which is a huge room, And if we were all honest, far too big for me. However, uh, we are hoping... The first one's sold out, unbelievably, which uh, is incredible. Uh, So we've got a second one. They are in August. They are the 5th and the 12th of August are the two shows. There aren't that many tickets left for the 12th, so we're hoping we'll put on another one if we manage to sell that one out. But if you go, again, to my socials, or if you go to the Live Nation website and put in Mark Nelson, you'll be able to buy tickets there. Please follow us on Twitter at PerfectPlayPod. Uh, we've got a good number of followers now, so it's great that you're all getting in touch. I haven't set up the Facebook account yet. I only actually got my own Facebook account after it disappearing due to a coding error uh, for a month. So uh, I've not managed to set up the Facebook account yet for the podcast, and I've not done Instagram yet either because I'm lazy as fuck. Uh, and this takes up so much of my time now. Um... But I'll set them up. I promise I'll set them up and I'll get them done. But yeah, go and follow Jay. Go and have a look for my tickets if you fancy coming to see me. And go and listen to the podcast. Some cracking music. I'll be back next week with another cracking guest. However, in the meantime, until then, I will leave you with the words of the awesome, the incomparable Stevie Nicks from Fleetwood Mac, who said, Your graciousness is what carries you. It isn't how old you are, how young you are, how beautiful you are, or how short your skirt is. What it is, is what comes out of your heart. If you are gracious, you have won the game. See you next week. Bye-bye.